Welcome to another episode of the Collaborative Leadership Podcast from Alec Cameron and David Archer. Leadership used to be about setting a vision and creating followership. It's much more complex now. Leaders now need to be able to build partnerships and relationships across organisational boundaries. These podcasts from SOCIA will help you address the challenges of becoming a truly collaborative leader. David, have you travelled in these new trains on the Circle Line? They are twice the size, they're twice as bright, they're beautiful. You can yes, walk right from you can one end to the, the other. Through. Absolutely. They're amazing, you can get so many more people on and, and you don't get all the kind of bunching up and everything. I know, it's great. But did you ever expect them to occur? Because we can remember when they were first presented as a way forward. I remember seeing all the specifications of them and people arguing for blooming ages about what colour the seat covers were going to be and all that sort of thing. And I, think, yeah, I think there's one or two bigger problems we need to solve before that. Yeah, and there were as that well. That was way back in the first round of the PPP. Yes. Was ever anything badly named as the public-private partnership for London Underground? Not sure there was much partnership in it. No, and you know, but I think one of the sadnesses is because of obviously the you know the financial consequences of it all. People kind of tend to rubbish the whole thing, but actually at the end of the day, some great bits of infrastructure were delivered, and gosh, didn't people learn a lot about how not to make a partnership work? Yes, in order to have a, a although, second go around. Although I think I'd probably kind of I think that's very optimistic because I think things were delivered late, yeah, and things were delivered very expensively, yeah. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't the right aspiration to have a partnership. Mm. It was just that the partnership never existed. Mm. I mean, I think almost, you know, we spent, well, more than 10 years. More, In fact, it must be getting on for 15 years now working with London Underground in one way or another. And actually, it almost tells you the whole history of the evolution of understanding about what collaboration and collaborative leadership is about, really, because they've kind of seen it all. Well, I think they have. And I think because they've seen it all they probably understand it better than pretty much any of our other clients. It's almost that you've got to have had your full range of failures before you can really work out what it is to succeed. Well, you can't deny that they haven't had some. But I think, you know, I have a great deal of admiration, really, for the leadership in the underground because of just what they've been through and what they achieve now. And the scale of change has been enormous in terms of the upgrades to all the lines, the new trains, and just the in- vast increase in passenger numbers. And we've done the Olympics, and we've had to cope with you know a major terrorist attack in the middle of all of that. Well, exactly. And if you you know, I remember sitting with them the evening before the terrorist attack, and that was the day, if you remember, that the Olympics were announced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the PPP at that time was demonstrating its ability to not deliver. Mm. So they sat there going, it's great, isn't it? We've got the Olympics now, it's fantastic. And then by the end of the meal, they were sort of kind of almost slumped in their coffee saying, yeah, but everybody in the world's going to be looking at us at the Olympics. Mm. And how on earth do we deliver and upgrade the tube and deliver the Olympics reliably because the Olympics was built on public transport. Absolutely. I mean, the kind of first one ever. And I think it was the 
you know, the lessons of, of realising that the way the PPP had been set up was trying to control everything down to the nth level of detail through a contract, which clearly had failed, but also recognising that you couldn't just go out to the market and get a whole new set of suppliers to build your trains and build your signals. They were the same people you had to have to work with next time round as you'd failed to work with through the PPP. But you had to find a new way of working with them. Well, you had. And, you know, if you talk to Mike Brown, who's the MD, he'll say that the pressure's on him from his stakeholders, his political stakeholders, from whichever party, where, well, you've got to screw down the suppliers and you've got to be tough and you've got to be this and you've got to be that because that's how you get them to deliver. Mm. And, of course, he's wise enough to know that they're only three or four contractors who can manage and deliver the scale and the technology Mm. that a system like London Underground needs. Mm. And he has to maintain both their performance and their goodwill. Mm. And actually, more than that, you've got to get their best innovation and their best creativity and their best brains on it. And actually, you've got to find a way of working with them, not working against them. Completely but not falling into all the traps that the PPP led you into with, you know, terrible financial consequences. Absolutely. And of course, just remember that not only did they have to do all that, as you said earlier, they had the terrorist attacks Mm. in the midst of all that, and they had the massive impact on that on both the infrastructure and the morale and the security Mm. issues. But wasn't wasn't it amazing? I mean, in some ways, you know, of course, terribly tra- terrible tragedy, but you really saw the best of collaboration across the underground in the days and, and months and weeks after that, with people just putting down any of their kind of sectional, yeah. functional differences yeah. and just working whatever hours, whatever was needed to get the railway back into operation again. I think that's right. And I think, you know, the terrorist attacks was the most appalling tragedy. However, the learning that the organisation got out of it was just that, Mm. was that actually we can work together. Mm. Suppliers, London Underground, everybody, barriers don't necessarily help Mm. and people can lay things aside. The trick, of course, of the leadership was, was how to take those lessons done in the extremists and put them into day-to-day operation. And to make them sustainable, because it's kind of in some ways it's easy or it's easier to get people to work together in a crisis. Absolutely. Um, but you just can't sustain that. It just becomes exhausting. You can't. So how do you build the right kind of processes and structures and things to enable people to do that sustainably long term? Absolutely. And I guess what I saw in the underground and with the leadership was the amount of effort that you really could put into this and the amount of effort they had to put into this. For example, okay, their focus, and again, I think it helped, they did have the focus of the Olympics. Yeah. So they had a single experience that was going to happen. There was no option. It was going to happen. It was going to start on the date it was scheduled for. So they had a single point where they knew they were going to be observed. And it was fantastic accountability. There was absolutely no doubt that they were accountable for delivering the public to the Olympic venues. And if it was a success, their names would be all over it. And if it was a failure, their names would be all over it. And it was also, it was apparent in the years going up to the Olympics that the politicians in the Whitehall departments 
either didn't really know what to do yeah. or really didn't have a clue. And they were really putting the effort in. And those relationships, therefore, that sustained and demonstrated delivery in the Olympics had to be built years in advance. Yeah. They weren't all delivered in the kind of month before the Olympics. It's the old adage, you know, we've, we've used many times about kind of make friends before you need to call oh, on them. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's actually leaders who are prepared to do the work to build the relationships with people they may have had real conflict with in the past, with people who may they may think have got very different motivations to themselves, but to say, actually, we've got to build a relationship which will sustain each other when we need it down the track. But it's all not just about being nice to each other and kind of behaving well with no, each other. No, because, you know, kind of planning and being clear about who does what matters too. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other fantastic thing you really saw in the Olympics was actually how the underground managed to transfer those lessons into the mainline railway, into into a, a lot of the rest of the transport infrastructure and get, you know, a much more joined up service for the public so that if I could see that London Bridge was, was closed or busy, I could just walk a few yards, cross the bridge yeah. and pick up another service. Yeah. And actually, how by getting the public to be part of the whole system, you could move where the peaks and troughs in the time were, you could move points of congestion, and that required so much more joined up thinking than you'd ever seen kind of prior all the Olympic planning work. But there was something about, for the leadership, that they understood in a very profound way that their stakeholders and uh, where the public, where the other suppliers, where the technology people, mm. where the media, where everyone, they had to have partnerships with yeah. all these people. They couldn't avoid it. So actually, rather than saying you can control the public, yeah. actually what you can do is you can influence yeah, the yeah. public. And you can help them choose to do things which are useful to them by giving them the information they need. And I don't think they had that mindset ever before. No, and so it was a kind of whole... Well, you said at the start there was the absolute clear common goal. The Olympics is going to happen on these dates, come what may, and we're all tied to it. There was a... We've just got to work with a whole diverse set of suppliers, stakeholders and the public because there's no other way. And just doing what we've always done isn't going to work. So we've got to do something different. And on that point about doing what we've always done, remember all the media commenting on how engaging and everybody was and the volunteers and the LU staff and everybody when actually the Olympics was taking place, as if that was some miraculous thing yeah, yeah. that happened by chance. Yeah. You know, Mike Brown and his senior team decamped to Stratford oh, for months. For months, months, ran workshops with every single member of staff, mm. day and night. They did them in night shifts. They did them everywhere. They engaged with their staff at a level they had never ever done before, yeah. other than just after the bombs. And that dialogue and that engagement paid off, but it didn't come for nothing, it didn't come for free. But the, the other thing that was really noticeable at that time was, and it wasn't just your direct employees, it was the same level of engagement with everyone in the network, whether you worked for Completely. the transport police, whether you worked for you know TFL, whether you worked for Network Rail, there was that degree of actually, you know, we genuinely are in all this together. 
And also, therefore, we need to think of ways of making decisions, structuring where we how we spend in a way which kind of crosses boundaries rather than is just within the boundaries. Absolutely. And we all know that it worked in the Olympics and we know, all know about the plaudits that Transport for London and everybody got at that time. Fantastic. But what I think is impressive about it is that the performance of the underground continues to improve. So here we are two years later and the performance of the underground would be seen as poor now Mm. compared with what happens on a daily basis now. So something happened that changed how that organisation runs and it is in part down to how the leaders chose to operate at the Olympics and then to take those lessons forward. Yeah. And it keeps on ratcheting it up because absolutely I agree. While the figures tell you the performance is even better than it was at the days of the Olympics, if you remember the travelling public, you're going, well, I can't get on my Northern Line train anytime because it it's absolutely packed because the demand has just gone through the roof. Absolutely. And so you've then got to go, well, okay, how do we get investment for extensions? How do you get Crossrail built? which then puts you into all sorts of collaboration with other agencies and with other parties and with other new organisations. So it kind of, you've got to take the lessons you've learned from one situation and keep on applying them. But for the leadership, as a kind of collaborative leadership group, they've realised that actually their success is their best calling card for achieving or addressing their biggest problem, Mm -hmm. which is the increased numbers of passengers. And do you think they've analysed what underpins that success do you think they've kind of now got conscious about kind of here's a here's a way in which we can repeat that sort of i mean to collaborate is one of their values now and it is in the dna certainly of you know mike brown and the people that, that work for him so working across boundaries, understanding that that's where the problems mm. are and understanding they have to clear those problems and make those relationships work are something that they talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah. and I think you're right. Of course, it's one of the values. And But don't you see Collaborate as one of the values of so many organisations? But yeah. actually, LU have really learned the hard way yeah. about what that means in terms of the way they structure their organisation, the way they incentivise people, the way they manage people, the way they communicate, which you don't see in other places to the same extent. No, you don't. And I think that there's an impression to collaborate is to, you know, wear the same T-shirts and walk into the sunset together. Yeah. So I think we have to be clear that it is much more business-focused than that. Yeah, yeah, much more performance-focused. Absolutely. And I think that's really what London Underground, the experience, gives you. It gives you a kind of encapsulation of it going horribly wrong Mm. and it going really right through a complete change in the leadership style yeah yeah you know they had to deal with some as you say some absolute tragedy in the terrorist attacks and some immensely challenging new targets in the the olympics to kind of get there i suppose what you've got to look at are there other organizations that can go through the same learning without having that sort of external drive to kind of mean to make it happen maybe that's the big challenge yeah
If you want to find out more about collaborative leadership and the work we do here at SOCIA, visit www.socia.co.uk where you can download more podcasts and other free resources.